just to let you know. So like when the guys got busted, it was like six million dollars worth of coke. Oh, like this isn't like a yeah, this isn't like a small number. Right. Well, how do you get that on a plane? Don't they scream shit? I mean, this is post nine eleven for God's well, he- sake. The following podcast is a Carolina Boys production. Welcome back, everyone, to Crime and Entertainment. I'm your host, Hollywood Wade. Now, we hope everybody enjoyed last week's episode with Cass Blaze. What an incredible story that man had. We even brought Cass back on uh, midweek, which we really don't do midweek shows, but we brought him back on midweek, and we had to cover the Oscar slap heard around the world between Will Smith and Chris Rock. Now, that is only available in the YouTube, so if you're listening to this and you want to take a listen at that, go over and find it on our YouTube channel. Now, we're not releasing that straight to audio. That is a YouTube exclusive, if you will. Now, today, folks, we have got a humdinger of an episode for you. We sat down with author Brian Whitney to discuss one of his latest books. Now, Brian has got a lot of interesting books, and throughout this interview, we talk about a few of them. But the one we're discussing here today is called Bad Trips. Now, it follows a guy by the name of Slava, and I hope I'm not butchering his name, but Patsuk. And he worked for the uh, TV show or TV channel Vice. Now, I'm sure everybody knows Vice. They have the dark side of the rings, and they do a lot of cool stuff. And it's been said that they, you know, push their people to get these interesting stories. Now, the long and short of it is Slava actually was, you know, involved in maybe researching how to get coke from... U.S. over to Australia and actually wound up doing it himself, wound up transporting cocaine. He employed some other people to do it with him, and like things normally do, people get caught, and he eventually wound up in prison. Now, this book, Bad Trips, kind of goes along and tells you the whole story, and it is quite interesting. Slava seems like an interesting guy. As a matter of fact, when this episode airs, He should be getting out of prison any day now, and hopefully we can have Slava on the show to give us maybe a firsthand account, if you will, and then maybe kind of the fallout of what happened in prison, because right now he's over in prison in Canada, so their prison system is set up a little bit different than ours, if anybody does not know, Uh, a little different over there, so we want to definitely welcome to the show and tell, you know, let give him an opportunity to tell his side of of the story. We're going through Brian here. Brian's the author that told his story, but it's always better to have the guy that actually done it come in and sit down and give his account, if you will, of everything that happened. But Brian has some amazing books. Another book that he has, uh, it's about a cannibal cop in New York. I mean, Jesus, this was one of the craziest fucking things I'd ever heard. There was this cop in New York who was basically having these deep seated fantasies of eating people. He would put his wife up on these like dark, fetish sites and say he wanted a cooker and in a fucking oven and eater. I mean, it was just some crazy, crazy stuff. And he wound up eventually going to jail, but then later on it got overturned and acquitted because he wasn't really 
or I guess you could say wasn't really planning on doing any of this. It was all like fantasy talk. So very interesting case, very, very interesting, you know, subject matter. If you're into that type of thing, they've got a documentary, I think it's on HBO. He goes over it in the interview. So folks strap in, buckle up and check out Brian Whitney as he discusses his latest book, Bad Trips, how I went from a vice reporter to an international drug smuggler here on Crime and Entertainment. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Crime and Entertainment. I have here author Brian Whitney with us today, and he's got a very interesting story. We're going to go over a few of his books, actually, but the one we're going to be covering today is called Bad Trips. Now, I've heard a little bit about this, and I haven't had a chance to deep dive into it, so I'm going to learn this along with the audience here. It's a really interesting story. I kind of know the the big points, the blueprint of the story, but we're going to get down with the details here with Brian. And like I said, we're going to mention some of his other work too and talk a little bit about that. But Brian, first off, man, let's get a little bit of background on you. Um, where did you grow up? Uh, I live in Maine. I live in Portland, Maine. I've been around here most of my life. Moved away a few times, California and New York, but back up, back being a local now. Now, you, what is California compared to Maine? Like, that's a big damn difference. Are you just? Are you yeah, just, it's different. <laughs> it's different. I live like right. I could I could hit the ocean with a rock if I had a good arm from my place. And it's like there's a bunch of fun little bars around here and so on. And so the main difference is it gets freezing, freezing cold in the wintertime. Right. So, I mean, like. That, it's not so bad. As far as the, like shit to do and stuff like that, do you prefer Maine or is California more your speed or New York or I mean, I'm like, I'm like, uh, I, I love the ocean, but I'm the kind of guy that likes hang out with his buddies and hit the bars and like, okay. just like, you know, mess around. And there's plenty of stuff to do like that around here, believe it or not. Yeah. Well, I remember, and I've actually got a guy coming on in a couple of weeks. He helped write the Jaws movie. And when oh, yeah. I was watching the documentary on that, they were running into so many issues with that shark because they filmed that in Maine. They were running into so many issues with that shark. They said Richard Dreyfuss and a lot of the cast would just go out and party because everything was getting pushed back because the damn shark kept fucking up throughout the movie. So they would just go and party <laughs> like hell all through the town there. Yeah, there's a lot There's a lot of that that goes on around here. The colder it is, the more people tend to party in, my, in what, my experience. Stephen anyway. King territory too. Isn't he from up that way? Yep. Yeah, he is. He is. And he filmed yeah. uh, what? Pet Cemetery, somewhere up there, it was filmed. Yeah, right? he did. He did. He did. I know some people that are actually in that movie or worked on that movie. Yeah, wow, that sure. movie scared the shit out of me as a kid. Like, <laughs> is that and, right? Oh yeah, like hands down, like probably one of the scariest movies I think I'd ever seen. At least, I mean, as a kid, it's still scary now. But like as a kid, I remember like trying to go to bed when it was still daylight because I didn't want like to vision any of that at nighttime. Yeah, like, no it, doubt. It, where, where are you at? I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. All right. I've always wanted to go down there, man. It's very pretty. I mean, I live in a town called Darlington, which is about two hours from here. It's really known for nothing but the racetrack. Um, yeah. And that's it. That's about all it is in that town. And I moved here around 2010. And I mean, I, I love it. It's fabulous. It's a great town. Um, I'm not like downtown. I'm a little bit on the outskirts in a, a smaller yeah. town called Somerville. But, you know, not too far from the water. Like, same thing there. A lot of great bars and stuff to go yeah. to. And Very cool. Yeah. So, um, cool. speaking of Stephen King, you know, being an author, when you were coming up, did you have aspirations to be an author? Was writing something you liked? Or how, how did you kind of fall into this line of work? 
I used to work, I've always been a writer here and there, but I used to work um, in the ACLU with prisoners. Like, so okay. I worked for prisoner with prisoners, like in the Northeast, like I'd go into prisons and visit people who are complaining. And so I kind of got that sort of, um, sort of vibe going on. And then because I like to write, I just started like hooking up with some people that, that had done some, uh, done some kind of weird things. Some have been in prison, some have been arrested and I started helping them write some books so it kind of started out that way with me working with some folks that were involved in the criminal justice situation, you know, scenario. And then as times have gone on, the more you do this kind of work, the more money you can make. It's that kind of thing. When you start right. off, you're broke as a joke. And then you like <laughs> keep hanging with it. Kind of the same, similar to what you're trying to do right now too, man. Like right. you, you keep hanging with it. And then after a few years, then. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, st- I've been doing this around like uh, eight months now. And like I said, we talked a little bit off air before we got started. Like, you know, in the beginning, it's hard when you're first starting out to try to get people to come on and be guests because like you have no background. They don't know really what you're, you know, what you're working with, what you're going to bring to the table. And, you know, gradually I was able to get people. And then I reached out to people, basically a lot of it, man, through Instagram. Like I would reach out to them through Instagram and a lot of people would answer, believe it or not. And it just kind of snowballed and, you know, you meet the right people and they recommend you to other people. And it kind of goes, you know, from there. And- same, same exact deal, dude. Like I yeah. did, I did one book that did reasonably well. And then I started reaching out to people right? You know, as opposed to like, you know, them reaching out to me. Like I was hustling and getting in touch with other people. Exactly. So basically that I've been, I've been, I've been doing nothing but writing for about five or six years now. Well, that's like, good, man. I mean, professionally I- for about 10 that's yeah. the that's the grind, and I respect that, and I respect you know everybody's grind and everybody's hustle. Kind of like this interview, it was I was reached out to. I didn't reach out to anyone. They reached out to me about this topic that we're going to discuss here today, and I was kind of like, you know, I'm just curious, how did you find me? And he said you were trending on the uh, you know true crime and entertainment portions of the podcast searches, and I was like, well, I guess that's a good thing. So <laughs> <laughs> that's nice, man. Good job. It is. Thank you. Now we're going to get into this book today, Bad Trips. Kind of give us. Uh, the broad strokes here, we'll get in the detail, but like the basics of what this is about, because this is a guy that worked for the vice network. Is that correct? Yeah. And like, first of all, you got to kind of get into that. It's, it happened in Canada. So it's like anything that happens in Canada is going to be like for them, like about a hundred times more important. than it's going to happen here. Like right. if the same scenario happened in, um, you know, happened in New York City, like, you know, people would know about it, it would make the news. But in Canada, this was like front page news, like, for like a year and a half, two years, like, he, he was like, everywhere in Canada, like, he's, he's like a, he's a villain in Canada, basically. Right. So his name's Slava Pastuk, um, Slava P, So what he goes for, a very cool guy, like, very funny guy, very, very fun guy to talk to. Um, long story short, He's um he's an editor for for Vice, which I'm sure you're aware of Vice. Oh, absolutely. Very, very popular, popular website. And he in particular was doing Noisy, which is their rap vertical. They call it a vertical, you know, like whether so he's doing hip hop and rap stuff. Um gets involved in a lot of weird scenes. Like he's dealing a lot of weed, he's throwing a lot of parties, spent a lot of time in New York doing the Vice stuff, hooks up with these guys kind of giving you the long version, but yeah. you kind of have to hooks up with these guys that, that offer him a, offer him something. They offer him like, you know, 10 grand to like smuggle some cocaine to, to Australia. He does it, gets back, goes smoothly. Then this is where things get a little screwed up. He starts talking to people. 
Well, one, one second. I want to ask one question on that. How, how did he smuggle the cocaine? Do you know how he did oh, it? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. So basically, they go to Vegas first. They meet a guy. There's suitcases that are already like, you know, the, the, the drugs are already in the suitcases. He never even sees the drugs. Right. Meet a guy, bring him on the plane, go to Australia, meet another guy, give him the suitcases, get them on. Now, when you, you know, say planes, obviously these aren't like, you know, Delta planes or anything like that. This is what, private plane? No, they're flying like Delta planes. How the hell do they get a Coke on the Delta plane? <laughs> they're, flying, they're flying like Delta planes. And just, just to let you know, so like when the guys got busted, it was like $6 million worth of Coke. Oh. Like this isn't like a... Yeah, this isn't like a small number. Right. Well, how do you get that on a plane? Don't they screen shit? I mean, this is post 9-11 for guys' well, sake. He, he did get it on a plane, fine, but the other people did not. So, like, basically. But how did yeah, he do it? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, how do you get that much blow? He, walk, he walks in. He walks on the plane with it, you know. And, and it goes through the scanners and everything. It goes was that, through the scanners. Was that his carry-on or was that his. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> That was his carry-on. Carry-on, carry-on, yeah. Like, and, nothing to see here, just $6 million right. in blow. I mean, they, and, I guess... And the, I, should, I should throw this part in here because this is an important part of it, right? So, Vice is known for doing this really gonzo, hardcore kind of journalism stuff. They'll, yep. they'll go to other countries, they'll, they'll infiltrate, they'll do some bizarre stuff. So, according to Slava, a big part of the reason he's doing this is for a story. So like he's, he's doing this because he's gonna he's gonna smuggle cocaine, and then down the road he's gonna write about his experiences smuggling and, cocaine. And I guess making that ten grand is is just icing on the cake there too. For him, he's that's icing on the cake in theory. Yeah, so, but now looking at that, now I get your opinion on this. You're smuggling how much? You say how much? How many millions? It was like it was like I, I just looked it up again because I forget. It was it was five million American, six million Australian. Okay, so right. I don't know okay. if ten grand is quite worth five million dollars and below if you get caught. I might want right. a little bit and more than that. Be, I can't remember exactly, but I'm not sure if he even knew how much was in there. You know, okay. this is seriously well. like he's meeting these guys with his friends. They're drinking at a bar. These guys are like, these guys are like, here's what you do. You know, you bring this over and you get ten grand. You know, and that's it. Like that's the whole thing. I don't think they were like being like, "Oh, there's six million dollars worth of like cocaine in there." Right, but geez, I, I, he probably had to. That, you know? He probably had to peek or something. You go go to the bathroom and open it up. No, these were like these were like because when the guys got busted, a big part of it was they were like they were like when they went to Vegas, they said their suitcases looked like crap. They said they could even smell the glue off of them. You know, so these were like suitcases that were like. They wouldn't have had to peek. They would have had to rip apart the whole suitcase. Oh, okay. It wasn't okay. just in a suitcase. It was like, you know, in a in a specially designed compartment. Okay, I got would you. have to go out with a knife and like. So know, they would have to know that shit apart. was in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got you. That makes a little right. bit more sense. So, so yeah. So anyway, so then he comes back after he makes his ten grand. He goes with a buddy who's a rapper. Um, goes with a buddy who's a rapper. Makes his ten grand, and then he starts running his mouth. He would he would agree with this. Starts running his mouth at parties and other stuff because he's that kind of guy. You know, he's that kind of guy. Like, dude, like, look what I did. I just made ten grand. Like, you know, you, we all know a guy like that. Or oh yeah, a yeah. lot of us do. The loose he's lips sink the ships. <laughs> right, right. So then he gets the idea that he can like hook these other guys up, and he can take a little bit of their money. You yeah. know, so he's like, oh, it's ten grand, but he's telling them it's like eight grand. You right. Know? So it's like. So clearing two grand a trip and and he hooks up with all these dudes most of them are minorities like and this is part of the story 
you know, because because it later comes out, oh, he's this big, you know, successful white dude. He's Ukrainian, actually. Right. But he's this successful white dude, like taking advantage of these minorities kind of thing, you know. OK. So anyhow, so so they get busted like they go to Vegas. Like I said, one of them is like one of them is like I could smell the glue off the suitcase. It looked awful. It looked fake. You know, they go through it anyway. When they get to Australia, someone goes through like, you know, one of the suitcases. They all five of them. They all go to prison in Australia for like two to three years. Oh, eventually Slava gets charged with masterminding the whole thing. He gets nine years. So were these guys, there were five of them on the same plane, like each of them doing a trip. Yeah. They were all doing the trip. Like okay. they were all like smuggling in. the. Okay. So he's banging five or two G's off each guy. He's trying to make another tinker just by sending these guys there. Right. Pretty okay. much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. And all also, right. you know, um, you know, he's, he's just that kind of dude that he's always got an angle. Like that's what he, that's what he does. Anyways, like, when he gets out of prison, like he'll, he'll probably be making like 200 grand doing something within six months. Yeah. Like, you know, he's just that kind of guy, you know? So, yeah. so a lot of it's, I think for the money, but I think a lot of it, he's just that kind of guy that he just always wants, you know, he's just into this kind of, he, yeah. he's into doing, he's into doing stuff that most people wouldn't do. Well, hell, you know. Vice would probably give him a special or something right off the bat. You would think, probably. <laughs> well, no, because Vice, Vice, like the book's been optioned, and like it might, it, it may, might end up being a movie or, or a series. But Vice hates him. I mean, they oh, hate him because like, okay. he, they're like, they say he's full of, he's full of a, you know, basically full of shit that he, um, that he said he was doing it for a story, and oh, it's part of the culture of Vice. They just party all the time, and they're like, yeah, you, you know, <laughs> it would be, it would. I agree with Slava and he's my buddy, but I mean, just to be fair, Vice is just like, yeah, you completely made that up. Yeah. There's no way that we ever would have like published a story about you smuggling cocaine to Australia <laughs> and so on and so forth. So they're not buddies yeah. anymore at all. So no, no sitting back down when he gets out, I guess with a, with any sort of updated no, version. You know, that. so yeah. So, so again, it's like, because it's Canada, it just turned into this huge, enormous situation where, this vice bro, you know, kind of like, like tricks these, like, you know, poor minorities into like, and the thing is, as I already said, he was like the, his gig was like running the rap, you know, all his friends were, were black dudes. Yeah. Like his girlfriend was a man. It wasn't like he was like picking out like minorities. Those are the only people he actually like. Right. Those were who he hung out with in the first place. Right. His roommate was black. His girlfriend was, um, I can't remember what she was, but she was a minority also of some sort. Like all, most of his friends are black dudes. The guy I went to Australia with in the first place was a black dude. Okay. You know? So like, it's the, that's definitely not the situation, but he's also like a very, um, again, he's very, um, he likes to push buttons. Like he likes to mess with people. So I think that kind of like burned him down the road, you yeah. know, like kind of vibe. Yeah. That, that can happen if you're that type of people that likes to push people's buttons. If you ever get <laughs> on the hot seat, then that, those yeah. kind of things can, can hurt you later on down the right. road. So when no he doubt. gets busted, that he gets busted in Australia, or that he bust him in Canada. It's in Canada. He, the guys that were smuggling, they all got busted in Australia. They were right. in prison in Australia. They all turned around, for lack of a better term, and ratted on him. Right. Um, some people don't like the word "rat," but to me, like you know, it's kind of the term for it. It is so what it is. They ratted on him. He never ratted on the people that were above him in it. Like those people that were the people that were running the whole thing, they've they've never been touched. 
right. there's still there's still like it, I assume probably still doing the same thing now. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there's probably reasons he, why uh, they haven't been touched. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. So he didn't. You know, he didn't. Um, he didn't like turn on them, but the people that he hooked up turned on him. So he ended up getting um, um, indicted and arraigned in Canada, probably like two and a half years. And he got nine years, but he's going to be out in two weeks. Like he probably only did two and a half years. Canada is a different animal. Right. I, we interviewed a guy named Brian O'Day. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him or not. Uh, he sounds familiar. He's from Newfoundland. Uh, okay. That's where he grew up, but he smuggled 75 tons of pot in two boat trips. Okay. Uh, and he was from Canada and he'd done like 25 tons on one trip. And one of the members of his crew actually got caught flipped on him that they were going to do another load of 50 tons. Well, they get word that this guy flipped. And okay. so they know that they're being watched, but the FBI don't know that they know, so to speak. Right. So they buy an entirely different boat unbeknownst to them. They cut this guy out of the operation. They buy an entirely different boat, but keep the one they had. They send that boat early, the new one. Then they go on the regular boat like normal, like they're going to do this drop. So that's the boat everybody's focused on. Meanwhile, they're almost like passing each other in the fucking ocean coming back. The boat is loaded yep. with pots passing them. They're going over there. They hang out for a little bit. Bullshit. They come back. They're like midways back, and he's like, everybody comes. It's the fucking FBI, the you know, Coast Guard, like everybody. They swarm the boats, and there's like nothing on the boat. He left like coffee and donuts downstairs for him when they got there. Super pissed. Oh, and he wound up getting caught later on down the line. It wasn't it was for that, but not like during that. Other people started rolling, you know, kind of like this situation. The lower end people get busted. They roll on the higher end guys. And he'd done a few years in prison also, but He's been out. He does a lot of podcasts. He does a lot. He wrote a book called High Times. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, he's got a pretty interesting story too. But you're right. Canada is a different. The way they do their prison stuff over there is a lot different than the U.S. So he's oh, only yeah, done what, like two and a half years? Yeah, two and a half years and a nine year sentence. And yeah, after a year, he was out doing like Habitat for Humanity stuff and hmm. like you know could be out in the community doing things and. So I was talking about playing mini golf and watching TV and things like that, you know, while he's in there. Yeah. He's not, um, that doesn't sound like the prisons over here in the United <laughs> States. I can tell you that. Yeah, no, not, uh, not quite. So yeah, he's, he's going to be out in a few weeks. And again, it's like, um, the story itself is, is, is a really cool story. Even if he didn't have the vibe, it's also a story of like, um, you know, rap culture vice itself. Um, what was going on at the time, which was kind of when Drake was coming up in Toronto and so on right. and so forth. But that's where he's based in, basically, it was on was Toronto. So it's, it's an enjoyable read. I'd recommend, you know, I, I and I wouldn't even honestly say that about like everything that I've worked on. This is actually it's actually an enjoyable read. It's like, you know, well, it, it caught my attention. Yeah, right yeah. off the bat when I kind of heard the basis. I mean, anything like that, it's like, you know, somebody set out to investigate something and before you know it they're involved in what they're investigating and that is that's something that i think is very plausible that anybody could fall into i mean you take any any regular joe just say if you're an investigative journalist and they say all right go you know investigate and you know whatever part of town i'll just say new york for example like the you know 
we'll, we'll do drugs, investigate the drug trade in there. And you see your job is to find out how much these people are making, how much they're, right. you know, clearing per load. It would be very easy to just say, damn, that looks like some easy money. These guys are making five grand, not doing nothing. You know I mean? I can see where that temptation would be there for them for sure. Yeah, and especially if you're already involved in that sort of culture in the first place where, you know, like he was, he was selling marijuana for like a very, very long period of time. Right. right. When he was on news in Toronto. So for him, it wasn't like that, that big of a, you know, that big of a leap, yeah. I would say. Now, when did he, I mean, how did the, the relationship between you and him come about? Did he reach out to you? Were y'all already friends? How did that yeah, go? Yeah, I mean, that, that was like, so I do a lot of like actual ghostwriting where like someone will pay me like an amount of money to do a book and my name's never on the book and so on and so forth. Right. And these guys like him that I actually, um, I, I had communicated him with, with him once, like he had written like a publisher I was working with. So I, I don't known him a bit. And then when I saw what happened to him, I just, I just like reached out and, and dropped him an email, which his mom answered because he was in prison. So same kind of thing we were talking about where, like I actually did the hustle around around this this particular situation, and also because um because he's in Canada and he's a prisoner. Like he actually can't profit, you know, off the book. Right. So like he needed <laughs> he needed somebody to work with. He's a very he's a very good writer, and in actuality, I don't think he would have like needed me to um to uh to do this but but in the concept of like you know it's, it's kind of like a son of sandlock that's what i was gonna yeah. ask and break yeah. that down for people and hell i even want to know the son of sam law is you yourself can't profit from your crimes yeah and it, what's funny is when i when i said to you before like i also i i worked with a guy that that has to do with the son of sam case as well but right yeah so basically if you if you commit a crime and I'm not completely clear, like Canada is more strict than we are with this stuff. I believe in America, it's definitely like murder. You know, if you rob banks or something, I believe you can profit off of that. In America. Right. I'm not entirely sure, but I know you like if you kill somebody and you want to write your story about, oh, this is my life and, you know, how I became a killer. Like you can't make a dime off of it. So in Canada, it's the same vibe, like, like, um, even for something like drug offenses like this, like he can't make, he can't make any money off of it. So like with this and the book getting options for film and all that, like, like if there was like, if you were, if you were to write it himself without having a partner in it, um, and we have an agent that I've worked with for, for years too, that like set it up, like, like, you know, it wouldn't even be allowed to happen. So, well, so, so if you do it, you know, if you do it, then you're allowed to profit. I can get money from it. And then. But he cannot get money from it. Legally. <laughs> you, you had to do the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Thing yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. what I was getting at. Like, he can't write this story. And one of the things that comes to mind with this whole thing, when you just broke that down for a book and a movie, is George Young. The character from the movie. Well, not character. He's a real guy. But the movie Blow. You ever seen? Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he was in jail. He was in, uh, was a, I forgot which prison he was in. Um, Otisville, I think it was when he done his long stretch. So he couldn't profit from the book if he wrote it. But being that Bruce Porter wrote the book, 
then Bruce could make the profits. And then Bruce's book got optioned into a movie. Obviously that was done by Ted Demi starring George Young, as we said, and Ray Liotta. So they can profit from that, but technically George the, the can't. criminal, the criminal themselves cannot, cannot profit, cannot profit from it. Right. You know? And that's like, that's like something that, you know, and everyone's going to be like, you know, in a situation like that, it's going to be like, Oh, well, obviously like technically nudge nudge but you know it is it is just like what it is like yeah. you know you can't profit from it and that's you know and that's that so he's also like i was saying before like a big part of the reason he's doing this is not to make money off this per se he he wants to like continue like his career he already was a writer in the public guys so this is more like showing his chops getting his book out there keeping himself in the public eye. And then like, once he gets out, like, you know, in a few weeks, like you can start doing some other things as well. Right. And that yeah. makes sense. I mean, you know, you keep your name out, even if you don't make anything off this story, then, you know, you might could have appearances or something like that. where you are going to pay you under the table or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, speaking of vice, we had a guy on the show and he was actually like our third guest, I think. And I'd seen his story a long time ago. It was actually on vice. Um, okay. a man named David Gant and yep. he robbed the Loomis Fargo in Charlotte. I think this was in like 98. It was like the bank, the supply of the banks basically. So it wasn't like tellers or anything like that. And he was the manager. So when he was supposed to close, he'd already had been planning this thing in his head. He just fucking loaded up a van with every bit of money he could fit in the van yep. left, went to a rendezvous had some people that he were working with, probably not the smartest plan in the world, but dropped the money off with them. He went right. to Atlanta, took a flight from Atlanta to Mexico. And the plan was for them to mail him the money over there. Uh, they obviously, they didn't do that. They actually hired a fucking hitman to go to Mexico to kill him. The All hitman right. liked them, actually got to like, be fond of them and didn't want to kill him. And it, it was a crazy story. It was optioned to a movie and it became a movie called masterminds that had Zach Galifianakis right. in it. Yeah. I've heard, I've never seen that, but I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. So the real guy about all that is David Gant. And that's what me and him talked. And he's like, you know, technically I can't profit from this. He said, I still owe the IRS. Like he said, some kind of ungodly amount. And he said, every now and again, they'll call him and be like, you know, when are you going to pay this? And he's like, look, if I paid you the minimum, it would take me like 144 years to pay you off. So you can probably guess when I'm going to pay it. Like it's, it's not going to yeah, happen. I mean, it, it, it is weird, man. I mean, obviously this is the first time I've been in this situation. So I don't know like how, how hardcore people all get worried about that kind of thing, you know, as far as like, as far as like, you know, how things like, you know, roll, but it's, it's, um, yeah. Like, but you know, above the board, above the books, like, you know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm profiting from it. The agent's profiting from it. Like, like, you know, slab it. Well, you guys it. are doing the work. I mean, you, you should see, you know, some sort of probably you're putting in the legwork for it. And that's like, you know, same thing with him. He said that vice would call him down or Fox or whoever would call him down. And technically, like I said, they couldn't pay him for it, but they're right. flying him down there. They're taking him out to a nice dinner. They send him back to a nice, you know, five-star hotel. And there may or may not be something in the dresser drawer when he gets back to the hotel, who knows, but you know, that's the type of thing is that's how it kind of how it has to roll because of that son of Sam law. And I've always been curious on exactly how that, you know, that fine line was. And that's, that's pretty interesting because like I said, you're keeping the story alive, but when he gets out, he can kind of keep his off that he can keep his name 
in the lights right. in certain areas. So kind of keep that thing right, keep right. And, popping. I, and again, I'm not like, in fact, after we get done, done talking, I think I'm going to look at, there was a, there was a time at one point that I was, I was talking to a guy, um, Robert Chambers, who like was the preppy murder guy. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you remember that. That was like forever and ever ago. Yeah. Like the guy that he was having supposed like quote unquote, like rough sex with this, with this woman and he strangled her like outside, like on the street. Yep. It was like a really good looking dude with a lot of money. And anyway, he'd been in prison for a long time. And like, I was talking to his girlfriend because a lot of these guys have girlfriends yeah. and, um, you know, for a while I thought about doing it, but that was just so like, I was like, with something like that, like with someone like Slava, who's like, honestly a nice dude, who's just like kind of quirky and like, you know, does made some mistakes yeah versus some guy that literally like you know strangled a woman to death right like that's a big street. difference yeah 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 so so i mean i think the son of sam is more so i back i bailed on that you know because i was right. just like i don't even want to like play around with that or well like those two or, movies what you just said like slava's movie and the preppy murder movie now i'm a big movie person so i would probably see both but i can see where a lot of people would be gravitated towards the Slava story and maybe not so many towards the preppy murder. That's just going to piss them off, but yeah, I can see where doubt. everybody and would be. Said, it's, it's, it's been option one. And then two, there's a doc that's going to be on, um, bought by Amazon that's coming out in the spring about vice and about that time period. So that's, that's going to be mentioned a lot too. So the book should have legs, you know, between like those two, um, the, the option stuff, man, not to get nerdy and talk about the business, but the option stuff and the movie stuff is really like where it's really where it's at. Yeah. You know, in, the, in this particular thing, it's like people will pay it. They'll option. I have a book out right now. It's been optioned for three straight years and no one's ever done anything with it. The same company like options it like, like year after year. They're like, I oh, will option this again. And it's another like, you know, $10,000, like, you know, just in case they do it and wow. they don't. But it just like you know, it's it's a lot of money these people are just throwing. So they out. throw you ten thousand to hold it. Yeah, the option itself, like there's the option first, and then if it actually gets made, it's almost two separate. Like so, here's right. ten grand for the option. If we make it, we'll give you like two hundred grand or something like that. So a lot of times these things get optioned, and they they never ever see the light of day. These right. people just option it so they that's pennies to them. Right, ten grand. Yeah, you know, not a big deal. So when they option so, something to you you can't take any offers from anyone else. Is that kind of right, like a exactly. lock-in contract? Then they, then they, they control the, the product for as long as they want to control the, um, okay. As long as they want to control the product. So yeah. All this like, is interesting to me. I've, I mean, I've always heard those terms. Yeah. The, the book's been optioned for a movie, but you don't actually know what that means. Like, you know, the, the average <laughs> no, no, viewer. It sounds, cool, it sounds cool to say, you know, so right. it's like, I'll, I'll like, I'll say it like, I'll say it. If I'm, if I have a book that's been optioned, I'll mention it like so many times. Cause like, and all of a sudden people are like, Ooh, it's been optioned. Sometimes I've optioned stuff before for like nothing. Sometimes people are just like, no one wants the book. And like someone will option it for like no money. Like if we can get it made, then you'll make like how much. And then they never get it made. But like people option stuff like, like all the time, you know, if you have an interesting story, like it's, it's, I mean, it's hard but to get something optioned, but compared to like how many movies get made and how many get optioned. I mean, it's gotta be like a thousand times more get optioned than actually get made. And that's the thing is like, I go to Walmart sometimes and I'll scroll through the DVD section. Obviously, you know, you have your mainstream hits, 
that right. come out. But then you have these ridiculous looking fucking movies that you think of like, what yeah. possessed anyone to think like this would be a good idea to make? Right, yeah, when you have know, stories like Slavas and, and guys like Brian O'Day and another right, guy, yeah. interesting character named Tim McBride that we've had yeah. on the show. I don't know if you're aware of who he is or not. But he wrote a book. He wrote a book called "The Saltwater Cowboy: The Rise and Fall of a Marijuana Empire." And basically, he was just a big time drug smuggler from an island in Florida. He dealt with like Noriega. He moved tons for years and years and years until he finally got caught. I think it was like in the early '90s he got caught, and he done like six years in prison. He's got a real interesting story. It's on our show. We actually broke it into two parts because we almost talked for like three hours. But gotcha. I mean, like out. story would make the book was fantastic. The story would make a great movie. And I'm like, how does shit like Jack O'Lantern and like just <laughs> these ridiculous movies I see at Halloween, like this killer pumpkin getting made? Like who finances that shit when there's yeah, a lot better know. stories I mean, out there? And how it gets into Walmart is even weirder, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I know people that I know people that have done movies and got like maybe a fifty, sixty thousand dollar budget with the movement. They don't get to Walmart, you know, they're like right. Maybe we get it on Amazon or something, like a streaming or something. Somebody buy it for like a buck or even free, put it on Prime. But yeah, like get a full blown movie DVD and released in Walmart. I was just like I mean honestly we're we're just shooting the shit right now, but it's the same thing with my business, man. It's like people come at me with like the most ridiculous ideas that they're like, oh dude, this is gonna be like this is going to be like a bestseller, man. It's like, like if I'm even out at a, I don't even like to tell people what I do, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. like, it's like people are just like, Oh, like, you know, this would be a bestseller, man. Like this is going to be huge. And then they yeah. tell you this story and it's like, like, are you, are you like kidding me, man? Yeah, it's like, I'll tell you about this car wreck I had. It'll make a great book. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, that's so like a YouTube segment, pal. <laughs> but the movie is even sadder because it takes them so, I mean, that takes them so much time to like, an effort to produce something like Jack O'Lantern. Like, you yeah, said. I, don't like, know. I don't get it either. Yeah. I see that shit. And I just shake my head. Cause I'm looking at the premise and it's like 15 different ripoffs of a bunch of different movies. And a lot of them are horror movies. Cause I know people just right. like horror movies in general, but I mean, yeah. just how some of that stuff gets made, who finances it. Like it made me want to buy the movie just to look into like what production company forked out cash for this, because I might can contact them and say, Hey, you bought, or you done this piece of shit. Let me direct right. you to something that might actually make you a few dollars. Right, right, right. <laughs> totally, man. I, I completely, agree. completely um, agree. Now, not only about, and when is this book coming out? It's coming out April 5th in Canada. And it's coming out May 1st in the, uh, in the states okay now if you guys plan um, like is it just going to be a hardcover you're going to have it on kindle audiobook what all the hardcover kindle audio paperback again it's like one of those things in canada they're expecting to be a bestseller in canada it's like such a it's an odd situation in that sense because you know it's it's like up there he's like a, he's a very hated individual or at least a well-known individual right like, here you mentioned his name and, and he gets kind of peeved about that because he wants nothing more than to like he wants to be hated in America, you know. It's like he wants, like he wants people in America to like despise him too. But no, most people don't. They don't know who he is, right? You know, so, yeah. well, I don't know about despise. I mean, some people probably just think it's cool. I don't know about despise. Gets, I mean, he, he like you know, he's, he's an if he comes on your show, you'll see he's an interesting cat. Well, he, 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 it's tongue in cheek, but he likes he, he enjoys messing with people. He enjoys yeah. pissing people off. You know. <laughs> 
Well, that sounds like a crime and entertainment guest for sure. Um, <laughs> tell him he's uh, he's yeah, more than welcome yeah. to come on and shoot the shit here like you and I. Now, not only do you have this book out that I think, I mean, I'm looking forward to reading it because I kind of want to hear the story. Because like I said, I, I think this story is very relatable. And I think a lot of times when people pick up a book, you know, they want to be able, and the same thing with TV shows and movies, they like to relate to the characters that they're seeing. Oh, I would do that if I was in his spot or, you know, I understand why he did this or that, you know, whatever it is. And that's something like yeah. I spoke earlier that if you were put in that position, there's probably not very many people that, that wouldn't do what they did or what he did. I mean, it's hard. It would be hard to turn down, man. I mean, it depends on where you're at, right? You know, it's like where, I, you know, it's like there's been times in my life that I definitely would take 10 grand to do something like that. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Know, 100%. There's been other times in my life there'd be no way. I yeah. Yeah. Now, like now I'm established. I got a family and, you know, kids right. and stuff like that. Yeah. 10 grand ain't going to cut it now. You know what I'm saying? Right. But I back in. Was, I believe he was 20. I believe he was 24. 24. You know, when he, um, yeah. When he. um when yeah. he did this, you know, that would have yeah, been a 50, like, 50 back in my early twenties. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I probably would have negotiated. I need 20, I need 25. Somewhere right, 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 right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, other than this book, you actually have a few other ones that I wanted to mention because one of them, the title kind of caught me and I got to get a little bit more information on this is, and I hope I don't butcher it because the cannibal cop, it, what nah, that's the, all right because that's the one see that's the one that i actually started with we talked about that so so this guy this case is actually like really bizarre you know so yeah i read the, the cliff notes there that's yeah i'll give you the cliff notes it's not it won't take me a lot to explain but it's still bizarre absolutely There's a documentary called um thought crimes on hbo about about this case so basically he's a cop hence the name he's in new york He's a New York City cop. He's married and he has he has fantasies about kidnapping and eating women. With me? With me so far? Oh, so, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm here. <laughs> so he gets on uh, he gets on something called the Dark Fetish Network. Right. DFN. It's kind of like the dark He's web like, type thing. It was, yeah, it's an internet fetish site for people who really, really, hence the name Dark Fetish Network. Right. He starts writing a bunch of his, you know, pals on there about his fantasies of kidnapping and eating these women. Like, oh, we're going to kidnap him. We're going to chloroform him. We're going to put him in our van. We're going to take him to the basement. We're going to put him in our, like, um, you know, a life-size oven. Like an oven big enough to put, like, a, a body in and so on and so forth. Get the fuck out of here. I'm laughing because I'm looking at your face as I'm talking about this. I'm, okay, I'm going to get to the good part. This isn't even the good part. So... So he's putting up photos of people he knows in real life from Facebook, including his wife Oh, on these sites. And so eventually his wife finds him doing this on the Internet. She goes to the FBI and goes like, my husband's planning on like kidnapping me and like potentially like cannibalizing me. He gets <laughs> he gets arrested um, for conspiracy to kidnap. He gets he gets convicted, he goes to prison, and then he gets exonerated, and he gets let out. out of because this is all fantasy. He didn't have a van. He didn't have a, a big oven in his basement. You know, he didn't have any way to do any of the plans that he was. So it was just a fantasy in his he head. Was talking basically. about 
So it's a bizarre case, man. As I can tell you, like because because he was completely innocent, but no one likes him anyway. So he never actually went through with it. This was all just deep, dark seated fantasies. He never did anything, right? Exactly. He he never did anything. He just kept talking about all the weird stuff that he wanted to do. Well, so now let me ask you this: When he put his picture of his wife up there, was he saying that was going to be one of his victims? Did he say it was his wife? Yes. Wow. Yes. And that's so that's she, why that's why all this like it would be like some woman he went to college with or some woman he knew. So he if he didn't do that, none of this would have ever happened. But he was yeah he was putting photos up of real life people that he knew. And it, if his wife never went through the computer, like she thought he was having an affair or something, right. he was on the computer late at night all the time. She's going through the search history, thinking there's going to be some Pornhub or something on there, and finds this yeah, shit. <laughs> it was a lot worse. Yeah, it was a lot worse. <laughs> God, so mighty. Yeah. So anyway, that that's that's that was like how I kind of believe it or not got into the biz because like um when I was I was fascinated with the case because it's like it's a civil rights case to the T. You know, it's like right. it's reprehensible, it's awful, it's bizarre, but you still got a guy in prison that didn't do anything. You know? Yeah, I so mean, it was like fast. It was fascinating to me in general, and it was huge news, especially around New York, but. Now, when did this take place? Man, I think it was about 10 years ago. um, If you Google it, though, it's like it's still like it's still like all sorts of um, it's all sorts of hits. Wow. That needs to be a fucking full blown episode in itself right there. Yeah. (laughs) Like he's yeah, he's. So what's he doing now? I don't think he like I don't think he promotes his stuff anymore. Yeah, I probably wouldn't either. But I just mean to say I wouldn't do it if I was him, but I just a subject in general. (laughs) <laughs> he actually wrote three um he wrote three horror books based around like this imagine that yeah yeah um so how long did he do in prison before he got exonerated i think he was there like i can't remember exactly but it was like two or three years um, how, how long did they give him do you know what they originally gave him sentence wise like 15 or 20 years or something 15 like to 20 yeah, well, they got him for, like, conspiracy to kidnap, you know? It was, like, and it, more than one count. It was, like, quite a few counts. Okay, so they like, counted him probably for every person that he posted up that he was going to yeah, do that he, shit Yeah, he too. did it with a whole bunch of different um, whole bunch of different people, and he would create these big stories about what they were going to do. And, I don't um, know. I mean, that's that's definitely interesting because that's a, that's a gray area because, like, you can conspire to kill somebody, and then if they catch you before it happens, then that's still conspiracy. Right. But, you know, give them the, this kind of thing. Like you said, he was doing all this extra stuff, saying about a van and putting them in an oven. Like, obviously, that stuff he exactly. didn't have. I mean, I think, I think that's kind of the point, right? So, like, if you're – and it is there is a huge gray area. But if you if you and I are emailing each other and being like, oh, yeah, let's let's go kill this guy and then – and you're being like, oh yeah, well I'm right outside his house right now, and I got the I got the cuffs, and I got like the van running, and then in reality you're like at home in your basement, like eating Cheetos, like not doing any of that stuff. Yeah, like are you really conspiring, or are you just bullshitting? You know, so it's like right. it, it is it is complicated, and he um, you know, he he's very. The interesting part is, too, there's all sorts of women. There's all sorts of interesting parts. But one interesting part is now he gets contacted by women, like, all the time. They, like, want to, like, you know, they, like, want to hang out with him and want to, like, do this and that. We did, yeah. like, a, we they want to get in the fucking oven. Crime con, like, one time, like, we went to Crime Con, which is this big, like, was oh, in yeah. New Orleans. It was like a, you know, Crime Con's big. 
Yeah. So we did this and like we did a book sign. I just like sat in the corner while these women were like, I'm not kidding, like handed them like their um, their phone numbers and things of that nature. Yeah, that's like, probably somebody I'm gonna have to pass on right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really it's really weird, man. Dude, it's what crazy. Up? Like What's I, up? I was gonna say it's crazy that some of these people when they're in jail for this, like you know, committing crimes and killing multiple women the women that just flock to them and send them fucking, yeah. you know, fan mail and, and offer to marry them and shit like that. that happens, it's really that crazy. Happens. Yeah. It actually happens a lot. Yeah. It's, it's very weird. I mean, Gil, I think it's more the fact that like there's women with this, this opposite sort of like sexual fetish that like, you know, he has, but yeah, that that's very odd to me also. It's a common thing. Yeah. It's a common thing that these guys get all sorts of letters and people like they got married in prison and so on and so forth. That's, that's, crazy i just mind let me ask you a quick question just because i'm curious because i don't like what about jay dobbins i know he was just um as i mentioned to you like i'm writing a book right now with jay who wrote no angel like undercover like i got no angel back here somewhere yeah yeah yeah. somewhere so i'm writing it with him and um three other (laughs) three other um Undercover ATF agents, like um, all of them about murder for hire schemes. Mm-hmm. There's like four different ATF agents, like each one that was like involved with the. And Jay's a trip. Oh like, yeah, he's like, um, yeah, he's a funny, he's a funny, funny dude. Yeah, our episode, I think it was, it was close to three hours. It was like two and a half hours, and I had seen a lot of his stuff on like the History Channel and the Gangland type thing and and stuff like that. And I listened to a few podcasts. But I had never heard like the end result because the whole thing was Operation Black Biscuit. And yep. when they pulled the plug on it, basically, I guess he had he had to do a lot of things that he kind of had to do to get by and to get through with his cover story. And I think that kind of hurt the case. They didn't maybe get as many convictions as they wanted out of it for as long as maybe they wanted. Um, but the ATF just basically hung his fucking ass out to dry. Yeah. Like just fuck it. He, he said like, you know, after it was over and I use that as a snippet on one of our, um, uh, advertisements for the show, he said he bumped into a hell's angel and the guy just straight out told him, he's like, you know, you're never going to get away from us. Is that like, one of these days your kid's going to, you're going to be at the school bus to wait on your boy to get off and he's not going to get off. And you think about that. He's with us and what we're doing to him. And yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ. And I mean, you know, obviously that's just him saying it. So I'm, I'm taking it at his word, but then not long after that, you know, his house burns down and he's yeah. thinking, all right, well, ATF's got to do something for me now. You know, my house is burnt down. So he goes to him and he's like, look, I told you they, you know, they were coming after me. What are you guys going to do? And they wind up looking into him for burning his own damn house down. Yeah, none of these guys are huge fans of the ATF at this point. I, I can say. believe it. And that's what I asked him. I'm like, yeah. How do you feel about the ATF? I'd probably have to hate the ATF worse than I did the Hells Angels at that point. Because, I mean, at least when the Angels thought you were with them, they probably showed you some kind of loyalty. Like, ATF just basically fucking kicked you out. Like, you're you're right. done. You're, you're, you know, hey, it is what it is. Good luck. Yeah, and that, and that kind of scenario, too, where you're like, you know these guys are like, one of the four guys, um, um, won't say his name and it wouldn't matter anyway. This is, this is a book now that we were just shopping. We did a proposal and we're shopping it. But one of these guys, like he's, he's, he's undercover. Like he's, you know, he's basically hiding out like somewhere kind of down near where you are in the same general area. Like 
like he infiltrated like motorcycle gangs and hell's angels and stuff and, like they did do right by him in context like now he's but that's still like a hell of a way to live oh yeah, yeah just yeah. sitting there like somewhere under a different name like yeah you gotta go into hiding and you know, I mean, and, and I saw, I talked to Jay about it and he kind of went like, there was another guy. I don't know if you're familiar with his story, but he infiltrated the Mongols. His name is Billy queen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so Billy is like pretty much off the radar. Like he's done right. a few things, but in large part, he's not as visible as Jay. Um, Jay just kind of had the mindset of like, you know, I'm not going to hide. I'm just right. going to put myself out front. And if you're, you know, got the balls enough to kill me and risk being, you know, linked to it. Cause I'm standing out here in front of everybody telling the story than it is what it is. So right. he kind of took the opposite approach. I'm not going to hide. I'm just going to be as open and as you know plain view as I can to hope it deters them from doing something. Yeah. He's a funny dude. He is. Like I mean, I enjoyed our show. We, we had, I had contacted him back when I first started this. Cause there was like a number of people that I knew that I was like, Hey, I want to get their story. And when I reached out to him, it was right around the time of football season. That's what he's doing out in Arizona. He's coaching, you know, high school football out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I said, well, I'll reach back to you, you know, around the end of the year, first of the year when football season's over and you got some free time. And I did, and we set it up and, you know, he was a, a fantastic interview. Like I said, I have his book and, you know, been knowledgeable of a story, but not all the way to that extent about what the ATF did to him after the fact. That was, that was pretty crazy. And you're working now a book with all a couple of those guys, like four ATF yeah. agents. Yeah, well, one of them I, I did a book that just came out. When it, it's called Storefront Sting, um, this guy's name is actually I should mention that because if he sees this, he'll be like completely pissed off. But like I'm talking <laughs> about Jay's book, and like is he and Jay are buddies? His name's Lou Belosi. He wouldn't be a bad dude for you, show, honestly. But I've he seen did, him. I've seen that yeah, book. I've seen it. Yeah, what he what he did. This book just came out. Um, and this has also been optioned. So, like, this is another thing that I'm talking about, right? So, like, this book just came out and um, about a month ago, maybe six weeks ago. His vibe was that he, he lived in Savannah. About He lives in Savannah now. But, like, most of this was in your area, like, mm-hmm. general area. Yeah. So, um, basically, what, what they would do, um, particularly Lou, um, they would start a place, like I say, it's a tattoo shop. But it's not a tattoo shop, right? So they're doing it like it's a tattoo shop, but it's really a front for guns, drugs, so on and so forth. So all these people are coming in to this fake tattoo shop, which is this is this is the vibe of it, though, that makes it kind of interesting because it is a fake tattoo shop. But they think it's a fake tattoo shop to do all their business around guns and drugs. But really, it's being run by the ATI. Right. So like Lou would do this like. after this would close and it'd start like a uh, another business in another city that was maybe like a um like one of them was just kind of like a used like i'm trying to think of the words like a surplus store like an army right. surplus store kind of thing so these guys come in and they do this and they do that but like it's really just like a front and then they'd eventually bust like 100 guys and then they'd go like do it like someplace yeah, else do it again you know where else. like every day they're sitting there like around like 50 different dudes like planning on busting him for all these guns and drugs and so on and so forth and going home to sleep with their wife and kids and then coming back and doing the shit again. It's crazy, man. I honestly, like, I honestly can't. We talk about, like, Slava, like, going to, like, taking 10 grand to go to Australia. I can see, I, depending on the amount, I could see doing that. I have no way I would do, like, any of this shit that these guys are, like, doing. Like, no way in hell. Yeah. Like, seriously. Well, and, and also, the same way, like I said, that I can see where, you know, the, the money for the 10 grand would be tempting. 
I can also see where doing things like what Jay did, you lose yourself in that right. case. Like, you know, at what point in time could any, any dude, and I gotta, I gotta classify this with dudes cause women wouldn't be including this, but like, if you're able to put on a cut and ride a Harley and everybody fears you and you're with these people and you're partying and you're making money and you know, like that's appealing to a certain extent. Like, you know, yeah, you, get right. away, you have to do violence and, you know, commit crimes. That's another thing. But, you know, to have that patch and to have that cut, that's a big fucking deal to a lot of people like that. That's not just a, a piece of cloth, you know, to those guys. No, that's no, I hear you. And, and, and lose things like Lou is Lou's bigger than Jay. Like he's this enormous dude. Like right. also played football in college. Tatted, tatted yeah. right up. Yeah, I've seen you know, him. Like, I've so seen that book you're talking he wasn't about. Doing the gang thing per se, but I mean, it's still like this. He's he's working his way in with these people, like you know, day after day, over and over and over again. Like just it's crazy shit. He also did a murder for. He's one of the four guys that. Also was hired to do a murder for hire thing. Like wow. the whole point of the book is like none of them actually happened, but right. four different cases of undercover murder for hire things. But Lou's a cool dude. He would he'd be yeah. good for your show if you're ever um if you're ever looking for somebody. Absolutely. I would definitely I'll get his contact info um after we get off for sure. Yeah, I'd yeah, love to have sure. him on. I'd I'd seen his name uh in research and different things because I'd look at other up under other cases kind of like that. And you know, that yeah. stuff's always interesting to me. Um, I actually had a guy last week Now his episode hasn't dropped yet, but he's seen the Jay Dobbins interview with me and he reached out to me and he's like, Hey, check out some of my work. I'm a former ATF and his name was, I, I don't want to butcher his name, but Ignacio Esteban. And okay. he was in it for like 25 years. And he's also a writer and he's got like, he's got a shitload of books. And that's what struck me kind of odd was he's got a book about mafia families. He got a book about one percenters. He's got a book about yeah. prison gangs. He's got a book about Putin. He's got a book about China and the, you know, the, the communist stuff they got going on over there. Then he's got like scenic books. And then he's got a children's book that he wrote with his kid. And I was just like, look at that. I was like, is this real? <laughs> is this the same guy? But it was, and, you know, yeah. very interesting, um, very interesting cat. I'll probably have him back on for sure. And, uh, his episode will probably come out in a week or two, but definitely an interesting guy cool. for sure. Those ATF guys have a lot of stories. Yeah, man. No, without a doubt. I was actually going to say that was like, like talking to Jay. Like, so when you do this kind of business, not to be boring about the work I do, but that's part of like this, you know, it's part of the shit that like, <laughs> when I'm talking about this stuff, that's the way I think about it. So with Jay, like we're doing a proposal, right? Which has a sample chapter. So like, so Jay is the sample chapter. So like writing Jay's chapter is just like, all I have to really do is like, listen to him talk and take, you don't even really have yeah. to do anything. The guy's yeah. just like, He's he, the stories he tells are like just wild, lose the same way. I mean, for someone like me, like all I basically have to do is tape record it, like, like change shit up here and there. But it's yeah. like the, the tells themselves, like, those guys are like, yeah, the stories are amazing. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. He's a very good storyteller. I mean, even the story, I don't know if you've ever heard, you know, our show or him talking about it, but even before he got in with the Hells Angels, like, he was like his first week on the job and he got shot. Yeah. You know, and yeah. he was just like, I haven't even gotten a paycheck yet. And here I am about to die. And I asked the nurse, like, right. you know, what are my chances? And she's like, I'm not good. And that's not good, honey. And he was just like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you need to lie yeah, to me, right lady. <laughs> yeah. Now, one other book I wanted to mention, you kind of alluded to it earlier. Uh, the Son of Sam. Now, that's a documentary on what? Netflix? Yeah, it's called Sons of Sam. So Sons. Book, yes. Plural, because that's the yeah, whole deal yeah, yeah, is yeah. there was more than just Berkowitz. The point of it is Berkowitz 
there's a there's a guy named Mari Terry and, and and he wrote a book called The Ultimate Evil and it kind of puts out the whole theory that Berkowitz didn't act alone. And he was part of like, you know, back in the day, everyone was all about the satanic cult shit. So yeah. like, a bunch of this is like satanic panic. Yeah. Um, but at the same point, so the guy I worked with, his name is Carl De Niro. Um, the book's called The Son of Sam and Me. Carl is a friend of Mari. Carl was shot in the head. Right. By like, you know, he's sitting in a car, making out, he'd left a bar with this with his chick. They're they're making out. He's got like Jack bottle of Jack Daniels, and like he literally gets shot through the car window, like like in the head. He doesn't see who shot him. He goes back to the bar, believe it or not. Like they 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 take off. Like he's like he's like go go because the woman's driving. They don't know where to go, so they go back to the bar. He walks in the bar, and like they're like, dude, like what is going on with you? And he just had like blood, like you know, all <laughs> all over his head. So they take him to the hospital. He still doesn't even know he was shot in the head. He just thought like the glass exploded. So right. like, the story of the book is mostly about one his search for who shot him and his relationship with Mari Terry. Um, and so, yeah, the Netflix doc came out called The Sons of Sam. Carl's in the dock. It's it's kind of polarizing, this whole thing. A lot of people are just like, what are you kidding me? Berkowitz obviously did this. Like, if you don't know anything about the case or if other people don't, like, seven or eight people killed, like, Berkowitz, like, he, he basically claimed that he's completely mentally ill and a talking dog. Yeah, like, yeah told a to dog do told him you know, to do like, it. Yeah. Sam's the dog, and there's like, you know, and then there's another group of people that go like, no, like, you know, he was part of an organized ring of people doing this stuff. He's just saying all that shit about how crazy he is because, like, that's a way to, like, for no one else to find out that all these people, like, were involved in it. You know, right. it's case closed. Oh, it's just a lone, just a lone lunatic. No one else is involved. So I think it's a five-part Netflix doc. The book itself is, is a good book, um, Son of Sam and Me. Yeah, that's interesting things for sure. Yeah, well, that's a crazy. Even without getting into that aspect of it, the son of Sam itself, um, crazy, crazy tale. There's been a movie. I think Spike Lee did a movie. Um, yeah, there's been you know, a about few, it. Yeah. John Leguizamo played uh, played a part in there. I don't know the guy that played Berkowitz. I don't know if he was like a a well known actor or not, but he played it very well. He just kept he kept like he was hearing the voices and he was trying not to. But Berkowitz's right. backstory in itself was a little crazy. I think he was like. Is what was he adopted or something with his mother? He had like a really strange relationship with his mother that, and I don't even know adopted. if it was. He did mother. have a weird relationship with his mom, and like yeah. in theory, he set a bunch of fires when he was younger. When I right. say in theory, it's all pretty much proven, but like you know, I can't right. say for sure. But like set a bunch of fires and so on and so forth. Definitely like a definitely like kind of a crazy guy. Is like no doubt about it. But there's all sorts of like all sorts of different evidence like here and there that just point to the fact that. They almost certainly somebody else was involved. And Carl would tell you, like, Carl would tell you a thousand percent someone else was involved, you know. Um, I, I mean, the only thing I can say to that is it's hard for people to keep secrets for long periods of time. And yeah, if, I and hear you. If, and if they have, then they've done a good job because that's kind of would be like up there with the Hoffa. To me, like, obviously, Hoffa was one of the most polarizing figures there was. A lot of eyes on him, and for him to just fucking vanish. And we're now what forty, thirty some odd years. Let nobody even has a clue where he's at. He's never been found. You know, there's right. all kinds of, of inclinations to where he might be or where he could be, but nobody knows for sure. Whoever done that, done it right, and they kept their mouth. And I'm not glorifying that they did this, but I'm just saying they done it 
the correct way and nobody found out about it and they kept their mouth shut. And that is a rarity in anything. No, I agree. Especially when it starts to balloon out like that, you know, yeah. like there's plenty of cases where there's one or two people involved. There's murder and they don't talk. Cause like, obviously they don't want to go to like prison for the rest of their lives. Right. You know, unless they have like a serious conscience, but like, the bigger the circle gets, the harder it is to keep everyone like, you know. Right. And you got to figure if the mob had something to do with it, like it's been long, you know, thought of that they had some, I mean, there, there wasn't just one or two people that knew that was going down. There had to be a lot of people in the mix. I mean, I, know, I don't know if you've seen the movie, the Irishman, Frank Sharon supposedly yeah, yeah, it does. Actually, yeah. it. A lot yeah. of people said that they don't buy it. Frank did it. Um, that it, if it went down in Detroit, a lot of people think that other people had something to do with it there. So, I mean, there's all kind of different theories, but you know, hell who knows, but it, whatever happened, they done it the right way. Cause nobody has a fucking clue. Right. Um, yeah. And getting back to the son of Sam too, that's all. Isn't he like, like religious now in, in jail or something? Yeah, like he's like, he's got a website that's just filled with like, you know, that's one of the interesting things about doing this kind of work. So you can just go down a wormhole after wormhole yeah. after wormhole. Yeah, but like Berkowitz, yeah, he's got he's got a website that's filled with all this religious stuff. But he and Carl actually even started writing each other letters for a while, which are in the book, actually. Wow. Where Berkowitz comes really close a whole bunch of times to like to like actually saying something, but he never does. But yeah. that's what the guy's been doing for like yeah, for like the whole time anyway, you know. He's very He's very cagey, like, and, that, and that's the thing. You either got to look at it, like, so when they arrested him, there's like, you Smiling. know, in his um, in his apartment, there's all this shit scribbled on the walls, like, you know, about what the stuff the dogs tell him to do, and like all these weird little poems. And they would leave like little weird letters that taunt like people in the press and so on yeah. and so forth. You a know, chubby so behemoth like, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So so many people are obviously like, yeah, this guy's just totally bad shit crazy but there's just as many people that that believe that that it's all that it's all an act you know like who knows man i mean it's 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 like you know that's one of the things about this kind of stuff is like i'm not even really supposed to have like a real opinion like my job is like to help kyle present his story yeah you present their story and other people form their own opinions right exactly exactly Yeah. yeah, those yeah. cases, man, like that and like the Zodiac have always just been one that fascinated me because like, how can you do as much stuff as they did or claim to be and, you know, never get caught? I mean, to, I, th- I think I did see something not too long ago where they said they thought they identified him, but I mean, I Zodiac, got dead. I mean, like, that's like, I, I just got an email from this woman like the other day that was like, because I get this is the same thing I was talking about. You go to a bar and it's like, oh, here it goes. It's like she claimed she'd solved all these ciphers, you know, that he wrote all these, yeah. you know, and she knew who it was and so on and so forth. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that one's ever going to get. No, I think there was even up. like a guy that claimed like the Zodiac was his dad or some shit like that and had like a big uh, website. Yeah, that's right. and yeah, yeah, that was proven, I think, be debunked too. But I mean, you know, it's like the D.B. Cooper. Same thing with D.B. Cooper. That's one of those things that, you know, we'll never probably know the answer to. Did he live? Did he make it? You know, I don't know if you're familiar with that case, but, you know, totally, no, only yeah, successful totally. hijacking. Well, I say successful. He get he at least got out of the plane that it, it can't verify that he lived after that. But, you know, he hijacked it. He got the money. And you know, that, I think they yeah. found some of it years later. Like a, it was like a family vacationing and a kid was like uh, right. yeah. Geiger counter, whatever, you know, uh, what the shit where they scanned the ground? I can't even think of the name of it, but uh, he found like a stack of I don't know if it was twenties or what it was or fives. But it was like ten, fifteen grand in a bundle, and the bundle come from 
that money because I think they did trace it before they give it to him. And that's the thing is none of the other bills has turned up in circulation. So they say, which leads them to think that he didn't make it and he didn't die because yeah. why go through all that trouble to rob him if you're not going to spend the money? Right. When did that happen again? That was probably, man, I don't know. I'd have to Google it to say, I would probably yeah, say seventies. Yeah, I would probably yeah, have exactly. to say I mean, 70s. I'm, I'm obviously older than you, man, but I can remember being like, a, I think I was like a kid or at least like a, at least in high school or something when that happened. Cause it was a big, it was huge back then. Oh yeah. They made a movie talking about it. I'm going to actually Google it really quick. 71. Yep. 71. Right, yeah, I was close. Okay, that when I was, I was really, uh, yeah. Yeah. I was nowhere near born. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was barely born. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's the always that to be talking about it like 50 years later, man. Right. Yeah. And that's just it. one of those things that because it's never solved, you're always going right. to have those people. Well, did he make it? Did he not? And I mean, to me, the fact that he got away with it, I don't even think if those bills did current up in circulation, the government would admit to it because they don't want to admit that somebody bested him. You know what I'm saying? Right. Totally. Totally. Well, Brian, man, I've had a good time on this episode, man. I hope everybody has uh, enjoyed it as well. I hope they're looking for the book coming out with Slava, Bad Trips. That's what it's called, correct? Yeah, thanks, brother. I had a good time, too. Yeah, no problem. And looking to his other stuff, the Cannibal Cop is one of them I want to go check out. I want to <laughs> watch that damn doc. That's got me yeah, all. Actually, uh, we were talking basketball before we got on. Like, one of the pools I'm in, I got in with the Cannibal. He, he had a good pool. So one of the pools I'm in is like the cannibal cop. Hell, I'm going to just agree with whatever he says. I ain't going to disagree with it. Oh, you got Richmond going all the way, huh? Yeah, Tim Ford. I said, yeah, I got yeah, totally. Go Spiders. Right on. <laughs> well, man, look here. I'm glad you could stop by the show. You're welcome back anytime. We can shoot the shit, talk about anything, any projects you have coming up. Um, I'll definitely get that guy's info when you get off the air. But, uh, yeah, for sure. Wanna, definitely want to say thank you for stopping by. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Hollywood Wade. This was Brian. It's Whitney, correct? Yeah, Brian Whitney. Brian Whitney. And unfortunately, we are out of time. Tune in next week for an all-new episode of Crime and Entertainment. Brian, thank you, my friend. Thanks, brother. Well, boy, oh, boy, what a fantastic interview. I had a ball doing that one. Now, I hope all you guys enjoyed it as well. Go ahead and check out our show notes on this episode on the Facebooks and we're going to put links to all of Brian's books. Definitely go and check out Bad Trips for sure. But check out all of his other work too. I mean, that's some interesting stuff. This whole cannibal cop thing was very interesting. The Sons of Sam, where there's been, you know, conspiracy theory floating around for quite a while that David Berkowitz did not act alone. For those of you who don't know, David Berkowitz was arrested with the Son of Sam murders in New York. That man had basically had just women petrified out there, cutting their hair, dyeing their hair different colors because they thought he was only targeting people with certain hairstyles. And there has long time been a rumor that maybe he was not acting alone. And one of the guys that got shot is basically telling this story that he did get shot, but it wasn't by Berkowitz. So it's a lot of good information if you're into this type of thing. Big rabbit holes you can go down. He even gave us a guest by the name of Lou Velozzi, who is a former ATF agent that done a lot of work here close to the south where I'm at down in Georgia. And we were able to even get him on the show. And Lou's got an interview coming up in a few weeks. So... This is kind of how we do it, folks. You know, we give you a good interview, and that usually spawns off into two or three other interviews, and we're just delighted to be able to bring it to you each and every week. If you haven't yet, please head on over to YouTube, like, and subscribe our channel. We appreciate it. We're not asking you to throw money our way, put money in the pocket. Just like and subscribe, folks. 
That's all we need from you. Head on over there to Instagram. You can follow us on there as well and like us on Facebook also. Now, I get a lot of people say, you know, sometimes I just don't have time to watch the YouTubes. Well, that's fine. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're on Stitcher. You know, Spotify and Apple, I think there is some subscription plans you can have. There is free versions. But if you don't want to deal with subscriptions, get you the Stitcher app. It's available on whatever iPhone, Android, whatever platform you're on. Stitcher is a free app on there specifically for podcasts. You can download that bad boy and check out all of our back episodes from the very first one, Boys on the Tracks, all the way to this current one here where we sit down with Brian Whitney and discuss his new book, Bad Trips. Folks, we hope everybody has had a great, great week. We hope nobody got slapped like Chris Rock did this past week at the Oscars. And I'm about to go catch me some ending of WrestleMania on night number two. I am Hollywood Wade, and unfortunately, we are out of time. See you here next week on an all-new episode of Crime and Entertainment.